Hello and welcome to Pursuit of Infinity, a podcast where we explore the depths of human consciousness and delve into the fascinating world of psychedelics. This week's episode was so much fun to record. We broke a record for a number of people on the podcast with five. Myself and Joe, of course, were here, but we also invited my fiance Alana, who's a returning guest, and Joe and I's cousin Nicole, along with her husband Josh. Nicole and Josh host a podcast of their own called Funny Till It's Not which Joe and I have appeared on numerous times. So go check them out on your favorite podcast platform. In today's episode, we get into all kinds of topics, and we really have a shared camaraderie, love, and respect for one another. So we were so happy to sit down with everyone here and share our ideas. But before we get to it, as always, you can visit our website, pursuitofinfinity.com, where you can not only listen to the podcast through our integrated media player, but find all the places you can follow us as well. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider a sub, a five-star rating, or even a review. These things play a crucial role in extending the reach of our discussions as widely as possible. If you're an avid listener and you want to show us some extra support, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash pursuit of infinity, and you'll get some really cool stuff in return. So head on over there and check out the details. Give us a follow on Instagram at Pursuit of Infinity Pod and keep up with news, episode drops, memes, and general musings. Also, below you'll find links to our Discord server and our YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash at Pursuit of Infinity. All of our episodes are always posted there in video format, as well as an array of shorts that we've been putting together on a regular basis. Now, with all of that out of the way, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey everyone, we're here today with a few special guests. We've got five people on the podcast today, which is a lot more than we usually have. Um, we're joined today by returning special guest, my fiance Alana. Yo. And we are also joined by, of course, my co-host, Mr. Joe over here. Howdy. And our other two special guests are two of our most beloved humans in the world, Joe and I's cousin, Nicole Albanese. Hello. And her husband, Josh. Ciao. Now, these two special people are hosts of the Funny Till It's Not podcast. So why don't we just start off by talking about your podcast, what you guys do, uh, how often you release episodes, anything you want to share about your podcast? Sure. Uh, we release every Tuesday. Um, I really know what to, what to start out with. I guess how it, it like came to be. We used to play magic every it was saturday still right so we played magic every saturday with a big group of people and then it got crazy expensive and we were like can't can't keep up with it anymore and i still wanted to hang out with the friends that i had and i was like oh just i guess i'll just try to do like a, a podcast or something and then i found out you had started your podcast so i was like oh that's fucking awesome so i wanted to jump right into there with that stuff and I thought, what better way than what I typically talk about anyway, which is conspiracies. And I thought the easiest way to convey conspiracies is with comedy because it kind of like grounds it a little bit more, I feel like it, you know, it reels them in like, oh, this is kind of funny. And then when you slam the truth on them, they're like, oh, oh, man, this isn't funny. 
Yeah, it sort of disconnects you from like the truth as well and from the negative aspects of the conspiracy, I feel like. And uh, I do like the fact that you put in commercials and you put in like funny stuff because it, it does, it makes it a lot lighter, takes away from a lot of the really harsh aspects of some of the stuff you guys talk about because your topics are heavy. They are heavy. And we don't, I originally, I wanted to shy away from like the heavier stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get any flack, but then I, I just don't care anymore. I really don't. It's, it's my opinion and it's not even like held in like concreteness. Like I'm always viable to change my opinion on it and everything. I'm just, I'm researching and giving the facts. So in, in terms of topics, what are some of your guys' favorite topics that you've talked about so far? I like all the cryptid episodes because they're funny. This is, they get goofy. They some get of the cryptids are goofy. goofy. <laughs> they get, we get real creative. I also like the Titanic. That one was really good. That was a good one. Yeah, I like that one. That was funny. There were just a lot of things that you didn't think about or didn't know. And I was talking to a few people and they were like, oh, do you really think that those conspiracies could be true? And I'm like, I mean, people doing dumb shit for money? Yeah, I do, I do think that might be true. <laughs> Pretty much the basis of all conspiracies, right? Yeah, if you like, you notice, because like you said, you know, you put comedy into it to like lighten the mood. It's like conspiracies in general are basically all doom and gloom. If you don't yeah. put comedy <laughs> into it, like there's not, I can't think of one positive conspiracy. There's nothing about a conspiracy that's, that's like uh, uplifting. It's all like killing people or like lying to the public and mind control, all this different type of stuff. It's like, so you got to add some light to it or else, you know, it can get pretty dark going down those avenues. Even a feel good one. Like if, I mean, I don't feel it this way, but some people think that like God is some conspiracy theory. Like that's, you think that would be positive, but then you go, you look at the church and all that other stuff. You're like, Oh, there is a lot of dark to the positive sides of it. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite episodes was, uh, the inner monologue one because that I love that one. I, I want to do a second part for that because, dude, I, I again, I don't believe someone cannot have an inner monologue. I just I don't believe it. <laughs> well, what they say is like people they, I mean, I can believe it. It's just so foreign to me. It's like how you can think in. I guess they say they think in like images or themes or concepts rather than like a a linear language. Mm -hmm. Um. When I think about that, it makes me wonder what the benefit to that. Like, they would say, if you're following, like, evolutionary theory, there has to be an evolutionary benefit for that trait to, like, maintain through time. So I wonder if people who don't have the inner monologue have some type of ability or something, you know, that benefits them that we don't have. Because I'm assuming we all here have inner monologues, right? Yeah. They say, what, like 10% of people? And like a lot of people I hear, they said that they didn't know that other people have inner monologues because it's not a topic that's discussed because it's just assumed. So like, I don't know, a few years back, that article came out saying that, oh, 10% of people don't have an inner monologue. And it seems like a lot of people saw that article who don't have inner monologues or believe they don't. And then they're all, they come out saying like, wait, you have an inner monologue? What's that like? So people, it's like one of those things that would never have been discussed. So nobody would even know. What do you think that they increased it to 50%? They think that half the population has one and the other half doesn't have one. Is that what they say? That's, half that's and the half? new, yep. Wow. <sighs> that's crazy to 50%? me. 50%? Yeah. Of people don't? Don't. I didn't believe that statistic either. 50% of people don't know what it means to have an inner monologue. I'm convinced that 
when we talk about whether or not we have an, an inner monologue, it's about the definition of what we think inner monologue is. you think it's a disconnect? Is. Yeah. Like I think, of what, what an inner monologue is to somebody else versus what it is to you? Exactly. Because I think people that quote unquote don't have one, they think that you actually hear it with your ears and nobody hears their inner <laughs> monologue with their ears. It's a, it's like an imagination. Like, do you have an imagination? What happens when you read a book silently? It also, it bugs me too, because it's like, say you don't have an inner monologue. Like if you consciously try to, does that mean you have the inability to? So if like in your mind, you just can't think words linearly. Like, is, so that to me is weird. There probably is an aspect to it where it's like, maybe people just are misunderstanding what that could mean. I but think that's I, what it is. I do think that there must be some people that don't have it. Because um, I've heard some like people I would trust, some intelligent people say that they don't have one and they describe it in a way that they don't think in linear, linear language, that they think in like more uh, conceptual imagery, things like that. Um, so I'm sure that exists, but 50% seems wild. But that type of poll seems like very hard to conduct because how many people do you ask to determine that number? Right. I mean, I wasn't asked. I mean, I'm sure like many people, like it would be hard to land on an accurate number for that, I think. I always think polls are skewed anyway. Yeah, absolutely. They're not a good... I've never been polled in my life. Yeah. I've heard millions of polls like about stuff that is like, nobody asked me. Who wants to go and start polling random people on the street? On the inner mile. Let's just yeah, do it right now. That's where we're going to get the data. <laughs> I just want to ask you, uh, do you mind a second for this poll? And they're like, give me your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing happens for like when they talk about, um, we've talked about this a little bit before, is um, the ability to visualize. Mm -hmm. And even to me, that was a little confusing because they say that uh, a lot of people, I don't know the percentage, but a lot of people don't have the ability to like visualize. And they usually use the example of an apple, like close your eyes and visualize an apple. And depending on how clear you see it is how good your visualization is. And I think a lot of people might misunderstand that as well and think that, they, that you physically see it, but it's just the imagination of it. So... But a lot of people supposedly don't have that ability either. I don't know. Does anybody here have uh, the inability to visualize? Nope. Didn't no. you say... Laura. Yeah, her friend Laura like knows what someone looks like when she's looking at them. But if she's not standing in front of them and says, close your eyes and imagine like Nicole, she wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, see, I think that's a better way to describe it as well. Because like I mentioned, the Apple description is usually the one that's used. But I think it's more effective to ask somebody if they can visualize a person's face like that that isn't around and if they can't do that then you know that determines that they have no visualization well she's got a step further it's called it's amphantasia right mm -hmm. that she has so she doesn't so, have an inner monologue or the ability to see things in her mind right that's the that's the step further with not only can you not not like speak or have that inner voice you also can't do the visualizations, which is a lot less. I think that's like, that might be like 13% or lower of the population that has that. I don't know. It's pretty easy to visualize, in my opinion, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't hold, like the visual doesn't hold. It's like almost like somebody shows a flashcard in your brain of it real quick and you're like, oh yeah, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. When I said it's like behind your eyes, Laura like freaked out and she's like, what? <laughs> like you can see things behind your eyes. And I'm like, but that's what it, like, that's what, it, where it feels like it is. Like, it's not in front of my eyes. It's not 
What made you want to start your podcast? Well, Joey and I, we always talk about this stuff anyway. I mean, it's something we've always discussed doing. And I took a course through Psychedelics Today called um, Navigating Psychedelics for Clinicians and Therapists. And the second part was uh, Navigation and Self-Care, something like that. And as part of this, uh, this course, at the end of it, they do what's called an integration project. So you have to integrate everything that you've learned, all the things that uh, that they've taught and that we discussed in the course, and you have to put together some sort of a project. A lot of people put together like uh, pieces of art or uh, some people applied for jobs and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So what I decided to do for my integration project was to, to con first of all, confirm with Joe, like, hey, man, do you want to actually do this podcast? Because we can, we can do it. And then I, after he agreed, I planned it all out structurally. Um, we decided how often we're going to release episodes, got together a bunch of information on gear and all that kind of stuff. And I put together a little PowerPoint presentation because we had to present at the end of the course what our, our project was. And we just kept going from there. And it's been really cool because not only have I been able to, to talk with Joe, you know, once or twice a week or sometimes once every two weeks or whatever, um, I was able to form a lot of connections with people I never thought I'd be able to meet and talk to through interviews and stuff. And uh, through that cl that class, Psychedelics Today's course, um, I was able to have like some people on through there that I met. The instructors both came on um, and some other people, some guest instructors came on as well. So yeah, it's been cool. And for me, the way it kind of manifested was like, basically we started taking psychedelics together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through that process, like we would, you know, take psychedelics, have these amazing experiences, and then we'd hang out and we'd start discussing like our experiences. And like independently, it seemed that we both started kind of going down a very similar path mm -hmm. in our discoveries and what, you know, we thought about the world, reality itself and our minds, our spirits, all that. So we would get together and talk about our discoveries through psychedelics. We'd and we kept finding, I would say, similarities in the things we were discovering and our interests. And we'd have these discussions. And he mentioned a podcast. I was like, yeah, why not? We do this anyway. We're always talking about this path that we're going down and what we're learning. And so why not just record it? And through the podcast, it's like we get to explore our ideas and learn more. So I think it's been, I mean, it's been awesome. I thought it was a great idea to do so. You know, every week or two, we meet up and we have these long discussions about just reality itself and what we've learned through psychedelics. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. I like the journey you guys are on. I I always was like, did you post anything yet? I'm always asking. It's my favorite podcast to listen to. Oh, man. I learned you. so much from both of you. I learned so much, too. You know, it's really cool being able to like when Joe and I both come together, it's like. I have my sources of information where I go to like confirm things and you know where the, what I read and what I listen to. Then he has his stuff that he listens to and that he reads. Some of it is obviously there's a big overlap there, um, but we both kind of come to this center point where we can share ideas with each other and learn from each other. It's just it's fantastic. I wanted to ask you guys what because you know you mentioned your podcast is like a lot of conspiracy talk. So when did you become interested in conspiracies? Like, was there one specific conspiracy that opened the gate? Or how long have you been interested in this? So for me, so Josh has been obviously a huge influence with the conspiracy side. Not because I never 
was interested in it, but I just never really thought of it as much as I do now. Um, but there was one moment when Josh and I first started dating that I was with my friend at the time and we pulled up to her house and there was a UFO just chilling right above her house. And I took one picture of it and she was like, let's go, let's go. We got to go inside, like blah, 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 blah. So I ran inside and I called Josh and he was like, what are you doing? Get back outside and record. Like, what is wrong with you? And I went back outside and it was gone. Two seconds. Like, it was not very long at all. That wasn't even far from here. No, it was right up the street. And it made no noise. It was all different kinds of colors. I did have a picture of it. I did post it on Facebook and everybody was like, that was military. And I was like, no, it wasn't. Like, I, I know what I saw. I know what I heard. And it I've never heard not. of purple lights on a and craft I before. I live around here, so I've never seen this before. And that kind of opened me up to the whole UFO thing. And then I think it just spiraled from there. But I do enjoy it. And it, it keeps life interesting. You know, if, I, I feel like if we just believed everything for face value, like, what's the point then of doing your own research and finding new things if you're just going to follow the media? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I feel like once someone has a UFO sighting, it's a wrap. Yeah. Then, yeah. Like, like you said, it kind of spirals because at that point, it's uh, it's like a paradigm shifting experience. We're like, OK, wow, if something that massive is true and I was told it wasn't, then you're open to other things that might also be what true that you were told. On? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can speak from my personal experience because the two of you would go off about UFOs and I always had my doubts and then I had an experience where we were at my sister's house and um he well me him and our other friend we went outside on my sister's deck and we were just looking up at the sky and he made a comment like hey guys let's summon a UFO and we're like ha 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 and then not even 10 seconds later we're like wait he put the intent out what there. the fuck is that and it looked like a shooting star, but it stopped, and the one dot uh, expanded into. I saw three. Um, was it you that said you saw four? There was a there. There was a fourth dot. That's, I didn't. It was a. I didn't light. see the fourth one. I saw three though, and it made the shape of a triangle, which on like you know unsolved mysteries or any other UFO videos that you see, that's a common shape. And I was like, okay. So I see these three dots in a triangle kind of moving on this linear grid, but it's also rotating at the same time. So it wasn't natural. And what really sealed it for me, like you feel that excitement, but also that kind of like terror because you don't know what it, you know, you're like, I can't look away, but I'm, I don't know what this is. And I'm a little, I'm a little scared. And what really did it for me was there were stars, like let's call, you know, the sky behind it, the canvas and mm -hmm. this triangle, as it moved over the stars, it blocked it out. Oh man. So I know there was an object like in front of it moving and rotating. And I, yeah, I, I felt fear and I was like, okay, just remain calm. And you know, I looked, I looked at my friend and I was like, okay, do you see what I'm seeing? And she was like, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah. And that's also what kind of solidifies it for you. I think experiencing it with someone else who also was in the same 
you know, ballpark is like, I don't know, you know, people talk about them, but I just don't know if they're real going through that experience and seeing it, that really did kind of solidify it for me that there is, there's something out there. I feel like there's, there's like two avenues. Like, like Joe said, that you're either when you see it, you're all in or you disconnect a hundred percent. You're like, I was just seeing something. I was just seeing shit. Like that was. And it's really easy. Yeah. It's really easy for people to write that off as like, Oh, it was military or, Oh, it was this or, Oh, it It was was that. Chinese lantern. See, I think for me, like the most fascinating part of what you just said was it's so interesting that, you know, you said, I, I don't know if Josh, you said it, but you said, let's summon a UFO. And like, you look up and then it happens to be there. I find that very fascinating that, it seems at least some people would believe that there is a connection between the mind and like a summoning of a UFO or like, you know, the whole CE5 process. I was just going to say, it makes you think there's something behind that. Yeah. Right? Basically you get together and have a meditation with the intent of summoning an, an object in the sky and people have success with that. So I find it interesting that, you know, you look up and you know, it's like a one in a million chance that you're going to actually see something. And it happened right after some form of putting the intent out there, which is well, I just want to say he's done that a million times before, and it never happened. <laughs> so not a million. I'm obviously being facetious, but there, you know, we'd be sitting out on the deck. You'd be like, you know, it'd be so cool right now if you and I saw a UFO, and then we'd look up and be like, yep, nothing's happening. So this was no different when we walked outside, and he's like, let's summon a UFO, and we're like, yeah, 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 and then all of a sudden we're like, oh shit, what's that? So. I don't. I also thought it was weird that he mm. said that, and uh, you know, not even a minute after we saw it. But there have been other times where I don't know. I guess maybe the intent wasn't fully there, or maybe I, I, I don't know. I Nicole won't let me contact UFOs. Why not? Are you scared? Are you scared of contact? Mm. At that point, it's she not was. that. But one time he, uh, no one that we know watches this. Um, you don't know that. Uh, well, I, I say watch. The, you don't know that. Listens to this. Um, I just get sc- scared around Josh's family. <laughs> but um, one time he did, was it mushrooms that you did? Mm-hmm. And it was the you were one. like, Nicole, I have a feeling that I need to go outside right now and there's going to be a UFO in the sky. And I'm like, sit the fuck down. I was like, don't get up. She wouldn't let me. I was. He's like, I got to go outside right now. There's definitely something in the sky. And I was like, sit down you're not going outside (laughs) i was so scared there actually was something outside that i was like you're not nope not right now (laughs) i was projecting my energy hard so if they would have been out there it would have been then there may have been something out there (laughs) yeah i've found like when i've i've all the experiences i've had like a ufo sighting it's always me by myself which is like it sucks because then I have to tell someone about it and they're like, cool, dude. It's like, no, you don't get it. Like, it, it just sucks being the only one there. But I'm so fascinated in the topic and I want to see UFOs. But then, like, you know, when it would happen, it's like, it's pretty scary. Like, I get a pretty deep fear, especially I am alone. I'm like, what the fuck? So uh, I I get like a, a, I don't know, just like a weird feeling in my bones. I've only had, I'd say, three like really compelling sightings in my whole life and each time i was like frozen in amazement and then like immediately i'm like i gotta get inside like i want to get away from this spending like you know hours of my life thinking about this and wanting to see it and then i see it and after five seconds it's like 
Yeah, get, yeah, get out of here. Yeah, it's interesting. You think that's instinct, like flight or flight? Oh. At that point, I think so. Like, uh, Especially like when you see something that doesn't quite make sense. Like, for instance, like my one sighting, I saw four objects that were like pretty close, like extremely close, like relatively. And there's no noise coming from them and they're moving in a weird way. And it's like, it's just this weird dissonance in your head. It just doesn't, it's like seeing something that doesn't belong in reality. So it's like a weird feeling. It's like, doesn't make sense. You're trying to compute it. So you're frozen for a minute, just like in amazement. And then you're freaked out and you want to get away or get, like I said, I'm alone. So I want to get somewhere where there's more people around and like tell them what happened, you know, when you try to tell the story, it never comes out right because right. it's like, you know, if somebody tells you a UFO story, you're like, oh, that's interesting. But actually having a UFO story can change your life. It doesn't it do it justice. No, never. No. They're like, oh, wow, you saw a triangle in the sky. It's like, no, you don't get it, though. Like, <laughs> it, it wasn't just a triangle in the sky. More than that. I do, I do think that, though. Yeah, that's when you see that stuff, it just... For me, I I get awestruck. Like I have to keep, and I think it's a problem when I get awestruck because the camera is not even a thought in my mind when I'm seeing that shit. It's like I just have to get as good as a look at this thing as possible instead of me fiddling with a phone trying to get the the perfect setting that no one's gonna believe anyway. Yeah, what would it matter? A hundred percent. Same thing. I've never in the experience of a sighting, I've never even thought about getting my phone out. It's just not, you know, it's. You, for me, I, I would get frozen. And it's like the last thing you think about is pulling out a phone. And at least in my experience, all the sightings are like fairly quick, like less than a minute. Like, you yeah. know, for me, my longest sighting was probably about 30 seconds. And, you know, I didn't think about getting my phone out. And plus, like, I've never had a sighting with something just sitting there. It's always in motion. So yep. even if I were to pull my phone out, get the camera probably ready, it would it. already be like too far away to get a compelling shot of this thing. So. That's another thing that pisses me off when people are like, why isn't there any good photos? Well, like, there are some good photos, but also it's like, try to get a good photo of a plane. Like, you can't even get yeah. a good photo of a plane, and they're always around, and they're going slow. Like, it, it's not a compelling argument to say they don't exist because you can't find many good photos of them, you know? Right. About the UFO we chased. That was wild. That was real, and that was wild. So I'm I'm sure we said this story before, but we were we were going out at nighttime, driving somewhere with the kids. It, it might have been sheets or something. I think we were trying to get food, and we're getting in the car, and all of a sudden, like right right above the tree line, right above the school, there was an object, just like five lights, just in a straight line, just gliding through the sky and i'm sorry i'm gonna throw you under the bus but <laughs> he saw it and he threw the child out of his hands <laughs> and was like what the fuck is that what the fuck is that and i was like i don't know so we get everybody in the car real real, real quick and we start driving and we're just following like this thing is just in the air just going and we're following it no noise nothing I think we did attempt to get some videos, but I think our phones were dying and I didn't have my phone. And then we got to a place where we saw Walmart and it was sitting right above Walmart. Tons of lights in a line. 
and we know that somebody else saw it because they also pulled over and they were out of their cars looking at it. We didn't, I don't think we got any good pictures or video, but that one was unforgettable. It was crazy. How close were you to it? The closest oh God, was, right it was above. right above, like as probably like right above the school. It was so, that's what creeped me out so much when she first so, said like, what the fuck is that? It was how close to the ground in proximity and the air that it was and that it was no fucking noise. Not a single noise came out of it. Nope. I find that to be like the, for me at least, that was like the most striking part was like the lack of noise. just like the dead silence. Just for how close it was. Yeah. Like it was something not a plane. Hum, right. it, was not, it was not a drone. It was huge. It was right in front of us and it did not make a sound. Yeah, because you can hear, like, by my house, I get planes, all sorts of different planes, from airliners to, like, little Cessnas. Um, you can hear all that stuff easily. Uh, if people don't think we can't tell the difference between a plane and a UFO, right? Then... Like, sorry, this place is chock full of airports. Like, you're never not seeing a plane and not hearing what, like you said, like, we're right by the... Um, ABE. ABE. And all the time, there's Cessnas constantly flying out of there. There's all the air, the passenger jets that are always leaving out of there. Like, you're right. Like, once you live there, you you know what these things look mm -hmm. like. Yeah, especially, like, for me, and I'm sure you guys, too, like, you spend a lot of time just looking at the stars, looking yeah. at the sky. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you see something that doesn't belong, it's it's obvious. It's glaring, you know? And, like, for me, with the sighting I was just talking about, it's, like, it freaked me out a lot, too, because it was right in my backyard. Like, yeah. It was, like, right behind my house. It's, like, no reason anything should ever be there, you know? I get a lot of planes that, you know, just travel in, over in the direction of my house, so that's, like, normal. But this was, like, low, you know? It wasn't, like, up way thousands of feet in the sky. And these four crafts, also, they were, like, flying dark. It was dark outside, and these things had no lights on them. Like, it wasn't, like you know a plane has like a red a green light whatever yep there were no lights it was just four white like circular objects just silently flying and they were you know it's hard for me to predict the height because i don't i've never seen it before so it's there's no reference point right but i could tell that it was these things were like super low like freaky low and uh yeah they just we're in a formation and they just slid right over my head, basically through my backyard and then towards the college. And then they were gone. But yeah, there's no reason anything should be in my backyard like that. Like, <laughs> it's like, why here? Why now? It just didn't make any sense to me. Right. Did you Man. summon them? No. But the weird thing was, <laughs> I was thinking about them and I was, I just had gotten back from the gym and I was texting basically everybody because this was February 11th. This was right when those quote unquote UFO shootdowns were happening. So, like, UFOs were on my mind. I looked up in the sky. I do this a lot. I'm like, oh, it'll be a UFO. I look up. Nothing. And I'm texting everybody about this UFO shoot-down stuff. And, oh, what could it be? And then I take, I, had, I was taking my dog out. So I looked up in the sky one last time. Just, and I looked up at the absolute perfect moment. If I would have waited 10 seconds, I wouldn't have seen anything. I look up, and literally, like, right above me and, like, slightly to my right, the, there's a formation of four craft. Just, like, right there. And they weren't, like, zooming. It was just, you know, nice and easy. Just nice cruise. Cru cruising by. And, like, if I wouldn't have looked up, I would have never known they were there. Because, like I said, dead silent. The dog had no... The, the, I had my dog there and my cat was there. They were just, like, you know, futzing around. They didn't know anything was happening. It was, like, zero noise at all. 
I happened to look up at the perfect moment and I saw these things and I was like, my mind, the first thing it went to, because like I said, they were, it was four objects in a formation, like kind of like a V formation and they were white and circular. So they, in my, they could have been discs or just like uh, orbs or like ovals. Like they were either egg shaped or disc, but from the angle of observation, I was looking at the bottom. So I just saw circles basically. So the first thing my mind did, like in the first millisecond, was like, these are spotlights because they were gliding so smoothly and they were white and they were dead silent. And then like immediately after the first millisecond, it's like, okay, clearly not spotlights because that makes zero sense. There are no spotlights moving around in the back of my house. So like immediately I'm like, okay, this is something insane. And then after I look at it for two seconds, I'm like, shit, these are straight up objects, UFOs just gliding in the back of my house. And then like... They started to get like out of sight a little bit. And I thought like, should I run down the road and like try to chase them and get another view? But I was like so freaked out. I ran inside. I was like, get the dog, go inside. <laughs> I fucking ran. And um, I kind of wish I would have tried to follow them. I don't think I would have gotten too much of a better view because when I looked up, it was the closest they were. Like as soon as I looked up, they were boom, right there. And I want to say that they were maybe a couple hundred feet up. Like, it wasn't, like, thousands of feet. Like, they were right there. But it's hard to say because I can't determine the size of what the object was. But, yeah, no lights. But they were white, so I can see them against the night sky. Okay. So And it was so strange because it was happening during all this UFO shoot-down stuff. So UFOs were on the mind. I was looking for them. I was texting people about UFOs. And I look up, and there they are. I was, like, just mind-blown. That in itself could be a form of... Like quote unquote summoning, you know, if well, they're on the mind, if they're in your consciousness, mm -hmm. and if there is a connection between consciousness and these things, that could itself be, you know, a form of summoning. Well, because like I was at the gym, and it was all over the TVs, like the UFO shootdowns, and I was texting them like, "You, you seeing this <laughs> or whatever?" And then I get home and immediately take the dog out, so I'm still talking about it and thinking about it, and I glance up at the sky like instinctively every you know minute or so just you know what's going on up there and, they were like, you ran. and I happen to glance up and it's like I'm in such a calm state because I'm looking up expecting to see nothing as usual so I'm just like calm I'll look up and then it's like whoa like this shit was right there and it freaked me out but yeah it was definitely on the mind and I found it to be like more than a coincidence because like you said it was on the mind it was like all this stuff going on and the fact of the location where I've where I saw them is really what blew my mind because I don't live somewhere like I the main thing I was thinking is like why would these things be here and it's, it was just strange none of it made sense to me that's crazy you know what I can't wrap my head around that I've thought about before so many different types of craft have been spotted before so is it possible that there's like one species of alien or whatever, like operating these craft or how, you know, it just, it makes me wonder like how many are there out there? Yeah. People like speculate that there's like, you could hear a bunch, like some people say there's like five different species. Some say there's a hundred or countless. And then like, there's the other angle that you could look at it too, which like, that it's one phenomenon that manifests itself in unlimited ways according to the person who's seeing it. So, like, it could be a single phenomenon that can appear in a multitude of ways. Or, you know, the, like, I would say the more standard view is that these are beings from somewhere else that have physical craft of different kinds that come and visit here. 
or like I said, a mental phenomenon that presents itself in a multitude of different ways. It's hard for us not to humanize and anthropomorphize everything. So when we look at the potential for another being, especially another being that has the advancement in their technology to make it here, we think that it probably has a head and two arms and two legs, a torso and eyes, just like us. But like you said, it's very possible that these things are just um, manifesting themselves in whatever way they can be seen by us. There's a, a very interesting hypothesis that they're interdimensional. And it's almost like the way I think of it is if the sun is shining on me and I'm in my three-dimensional world, I cast my, my three-dimensional being casts a two-dimensional shadow onto the ground. So is it possible that a higher dimensional object being or something can be projecting itself into our dimension? And if it is, then it would look a certain way. It, it would look very three-dimensional, even though it's four-dimensional or five-dimensional or 11-dimensional. So we're, we may not be seeing them accurately for what they are. We might just be, be seeing them for, you know, however they can project themselves into our dimension of perception. Yeah, I mean, you could almost guarantee that we're not seeing anything for what it truly is because we're so limited by our perception. Like, we have our five senses, and then we project them onto the world and think that the world is those things. Like, we, you know, see, hear, touch, taste, smell, and then we think that's just our senses, you know? And then we think the world is sights, touches, sounds, smells. Like, we think that's what the world is, but it's just our limited perception being projected outward. So you could argue that we probably don't see anything as it truly is, you know? Yeah. So like, what is, that's like, begs, you know, our ultimate question, like, what is reality? You know, what's the true nature of it? Is it just, is it code? Are we, is it information? I, I think of it as that. I think reality is, is information, like consciousness content or something like that. And, you know, we as humans, dogs, cats, whatever, we develop and evolve the senses to perceive and intake that information in a certain way that coexists or that uh, allows us to survive, essentially. So to say that what we're seeing is accurate and is what reality actually is, probably not. And all you have to do is like take the requisite psychedelic and you understand that what you're seeing is not really what's there. Yeah, because like we only, they say we see like a tiny percentage of the light spectrum alone. So like there's tons of things that are supposedly in reality that we aren't seeing. Like uh, we evolved with certain senses with the main objective of survival. So if we were seeing everything at once, we couldn't survive in like this finite form. We would just, you know, we wouldn't be able to eat. We wouldn't be able to do anything because it would be so overwhelming. So we've just been designed or evolved to just intake enough information so we could survive. And then, like you said, when you take a psychedelic, it's like, you start seeing all these things that you know aren't aren't in our normal ability of perception. So, like, if you lived your entire life in a psychedelic state, like a, a deep, you know, heavy psychedelic state, you wouldn't be able to maintain your physical body. You wouldn't be able to maintain. There'd just be too much. What's crazy? Did you hear about those elephants? Was it India or Africa where they just trip all day long? You remember that? Oh, yeah, because they eat 
plants. A type of psychedelic plant, and they eat it all day and long. they just exist in this trip state their whole life. You know, I often wonder, like, is that just what every animal is? Are we existing? We are existing in a, a trip state at, all the time. Because if you think about it, first of all, it is proven that in our bodies in certain places, I think the lungs... It has been confirmed that DMT is endogenously created within mm-hmm. us. So we're just an amalgamation of brain chemistry anyway that equals a perception. So to me, it I think that goes for every being that's living. We're just living in a weird hallucination that adheres to whatever uh, like perceptual senses that we've developed over evolutionary years. But are we, though? Are we just an amalgamation of brain chemistry? Well, I would you say know, what that, we that, consider reality that we're seeing, hearing, feeling. That's if you're like, as you said earlier, if we define ra- reality based off of what we see, what we hear, what we feel, then yes, we're just we're experiencing an amalgamation of brain chemistry. But again, when you take the psychedelic or when you do the particular meditation, you can sort of uh, branch away from there because it's as we were saying earlier, you look inside, you find the answers inside yourself or inside your mind as opposed to what's outside of it. The reason I ask is because I would say like another way to look at it would be that the brain chemistry that you observe is more of an image of a thing rather than the thing producing it. So like, for instance, like if you're in, if you're terribly depressed and sad and crying and you look in the mirror and you see a contorted face with tears streaming down the face, you look at it, you see the, the face and the tears. The face and the tears aren't the sadness. It's the image of sadness. So when you look into brain chemistry, you could say that it's just the image of what a, another individual consciousness experience is. So it's not that that is what's producing it. It's just an image of what that experience looks like from the outside. You know well, what I mean? I it like brings, that. Yeah, you know, it brings to mind like uh, photography, you know? In the 1800s, when they just used like the really rudimentary, you know, uh, version of photography, you have this like crappy image. It's very grainy, black and white. And now we have these high definition cameras. So it's like when you upgrade the tools, the image upgrades as well. But the image, it's it's this this awesome quote that the map is not the territory. The image is not the reality. It's just the image. Right. It's not the thing in itself. Yes. So like I would say that that could be extrapolated to like because the normal materialist view is that like the brain chemistry produces the experience where really the experience just is. And when you look at someone's brain, you're seeing an image of their experience, not that the you know, the image or the experience is created within that chemical construction. It's just an image of what an experience looks like. Or like it just kind of happens. It's almost a result of the experience, not the other way around. Right. We look at the brain because we say like, okay, you get in a car accident, you smack your head and you know, you're altered, you know, you can be altered forever if you have damage done to your brain. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, the reality itself is altered. It's just, it's the perception. It's again, it's the image that's altered. Mm -hmm. I had a question It's a burning question. And I had a tough time with it. I think you guys might've talked about already. Do you guys believe in free will? Did you hear about that Stanford scientist that just uh, came out and he said that there is no such thing as free will? I don't think those, I don't believe that. I, like that's the Sam Harris argument too that there is no free will. I, it, me and Joe have talked about this plenty of times, uh-huh. and 
if you if you're saying that you don't have free will, like you're still acting as if you do. You know, to me, it's a paradox that we have to be able to hold that there are certain aspects of of our being that are automatic that we do not have free will over, but we do have free will to a certain extent. And if you say you don't, but you act as if you do, then you're the paradox is off balance. See, and I go back on forth, back and forth on this too, and it's like I think it's because it is a paradox because in your first person experience, you experience free will as if you have free will. But I, part of me, I think in actuality that there may not be free will in the way that we normally consider it. You know, you experience the act of free will when you're kind of in an illusionary state. But if you take it to its extreme, I would argue that you don't even exist to have a free will. So that's like the furthest I think you could take it. Because right now, I would say that it's an illusion to identify with the ego. And that the ego that you are identified with isn't actually true and doesn't exist. So if you don't actually exist, then there's no ability for you to have a free will. For instance, like, I would say the free will that exists is the free will of existence. So existence is willed into existence, basically God's will. But if you consider yourself as a part of, of that you are nature, that you're not separate from it, that it's all just happening and you aren't identified with an aspect of it, meaning the ego, then you aren't there to have a free will to make the decisions. So I would say, like, you're not necessarily ever making a decision. It's just essentially happening to what you're identifying with, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but if you bring it back down to, like, I like to think about animals when I think about this type of thing, because when you talk about like free will from a human, you can get really caught up in your own mind about what it means and what I am. Like, cause like that's the whole basis of, of the question that you said, like, what is me? Who am I then? If I don't have free will, if I'm not my ego, then who am I? But I think when people ask the question of whether or not we have free will, they're asking it based off of like an ego centric, uh, like, perception you know an egocentric point of view so if we bring it down like into the duel and i say as my ego or as my biological survival being i do have free will but then on the other side of that as you said you don't at the same time and i think that's where that paradox does exist mm -hmm. exactly so i the from the first person experience of the ego free will exists but in actuality when you investigate the self and you start to peel apart the layers and understand that what you are isn't your name, isn't your body, isn't the thoughts you have or the ideas you identify with, and then you strip it all away and then finally come to an answer of who am I, what am I, and you realize that you're not the ego, you aren't there to make the decision. So you're in, in actuality, and I, this goes against everything I want to be true, because like as a human being, I want to say I have free will. And in a sense, like you mentioned, it's a paradox. From the first person sense, I've, I have a free will because I behave as if I do. I behave as if, you know, I'm the one making decisions. But when you truly strip everything down to the true nature of what you are, which is the same thing that all of us are, is the same single thing, which is everything, all of nature, then you don't actually have any free will in making decisions, but you are the thing that wills existence as a, a totality. And I think a very important <clears throat> aspect to look at this as is like, you know, we, you think about 
the connection between the people in this room, between everybody. There's a connection. There's something that connects all beings and all people. And within that connection, again, if you kind of bring it down to the duel, we have a certain amount of free will in terms of how we affect the field that we share as people, as animals, you know? So I think that's where the free will really kind of resides is, you know, what are we doing to affect the field that connects all of us? You know, are we spreading love? Are we spreading hate? That's where the free will, I think, is. See, uh, the free will thing is it's really mind-blowing to me because, like, it brings into question just about everything because even the aspect of time, when you say that, it makes me think about time as well because for free will to exist, then time has to be as it appears. So there would have to be a true sense to there being cause and effect. So in order for there to be a free will, there has to be a, a cause that equals the effect. Basically, let me just, before we go there, I want to ask you guys, <laughs> what do you think about time? Do you think that time exists? Is it an illusion? Is it not real at all? What do you think? I don't, I personally don't think time exists, no. I think it's man-made. Like a construct. Can you extrapolate on that a little bit? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let me ask, what, what would be the difference between it being real and between it, like, being man-made? Like, what, what does it mean to be man-made? Do you mean it's, like, it's an idea as opposed to something that's actually real? I, just the way that I feel about it, because, okay, I, I've been through my fair share of psychedelic experiences where time does not exist, but time on this human plane is more so um, a means to structure things. It's a survival mechanism. It's something that you have to adhere yes. to to survive. Yes. And evolutionarily over all of the millions of years that we've been, you know, evolving, we've adhered to time. And you just look no further than it's just the sun. Time is just the sun, you know, that's it. And it's your just relative position and yeah. the mass of the thing you're standing on. It's weird. And like the illusion of entropy as well. You know, see, I was, it's such a difficult question, but you think about like, cause you know, now they're, they're space time that like Einstein would say that space and time are the same thing. And I was thinking about time. I don't think that it actually exists first off because you can't get a hold of it. Like, I can't show you any time ever. All I can show you is now. Like, you, can, you can't point at time. You can't grasp a hold of it. I can point to a watch or I can point to a clock, but that's not what time is. So, like, as soon as the second passes, it's, it's always going to be now, basically. And what I was thinking about what time could be is that the, all time is is the space in between two thoughts. Does that make sense? And then what space would be is a medium in which simultaneous thoughts can appear in continuity. And this is based off of the idea that possibly what I would believe is that reality is mental in nature. It's more of a mind than a physical structure. So in our finite minds, we think of time as it's just a space between two thoughts. So our finite minds can have separate thoughts so it's a actually a space between those thoughts and then the this physical realm of space is just enabling the mind to have simultaneous thoughts with continuity does that make sense so then what is the explicit connection 
of space and time because there is an obvious connection between the two so much so that they depend on one another you know if you're like when you talk about space travel you know what i mean and you talk about light years these are um these are concepts that marry space and time which can lead to quantifiable observations so what do you think is the the connection between space and time if they aren't the same thing or not the same maybe they're two sides of the same coin like I said, I, I kind of agree with them being constructs, but I think that, because like, for instance, I don't think, like I said, time actually exists. And like I was kind of saying before, the whole cause and effect thing, there's no, there's, I would say that, that all that exists is this right now, and this is all that will ever exist. And when you think of something that caused this, it's just, it's pure imagination and construct, basically. Time to me seems to be, it, it it seems to be experience. And the way the reason I say that is because again, like Alana had mentioned, she's had, you know, psychedelic experiences where time doesn't really seem to exist. It's hard to say that like such a definitive black and white statement, like time is not real. Time does not exist, but you can experience time differently than what we consider linear eternal time. It's almost as if Time does not follow a timeline. It's rather infinite instead. But it's, it's really hard to say it doesn't exist because, like, as you said, what kind of popped out to me as part of what you said was you can't show anybody time. You can't show it. But you also can't show consciousness. You, can't, you can point to a person, but that's the watch. Consciousness is the time. So right. it doesn't necessarily mean that consciousness doesn't exist because if you or I were to be pressed, we'd probably say consciousness is the only thing that exists. So just because it can't be shown and it can't be seen or heard or whatever doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't exist. At the same time, it does, though. It, it definitely, you know? it definitely I would say it's, does. it's another paradox. It's but, like free will. But like we have to, I would say, in our, our finite minds in the human state of consciousness we have to kind of construct time or believe time for like for instance for you to answer my question like for you to answer a question i ask you there has to be a space between those thoughts and that space is i would say what we call time but that it doesn't actually exist as it i would say that there's only an infinite moment like an eternal now but in this game that we play we kind of we have to parse things between thoughts, and that's what we call time, I would say. I don't think that we are... It's, it's more of like a dream, I would say, reality itself. So it's not like... Like when you wake up from a dream, you don't consider the time of the dream as like a serious, like a tangible thing. And often in dreams, time doesn't actually make any sense. So I would say that it's just a way for us to maintain coherence in this experience rather than... A thing that actually exists and like i would say through psychedelic experience you can you know a lot of times when people use psychedelics they say they experience things that are realer than real more real than our like human state of being where you transcend being a human being and you enter into something else where you can experience truths that that seem more true than what you experience at this level of consciousness and i would say that you can experience a state that feels more true that time is a, a literal non-factor where there's, there's a multitude of states you could experience somewhere you could basically feel the relativity of time, that it's not an absolute thing, that it's absolutely relative. 
like Einstein said, like what, uh, I don't know exactly what he said, but basically putting your hand on a burning stove for five minutes is a lot longer than sitting next to someone you love for five minutes. So that's like the relativity of time. And I think if something is relative, then it's by nature not absolute in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's just all part of like a, a the state of a human being, like a, our finite minds constructing something, but it can be transcended to a point where there's no actual time. What do you think, Nicole? So I'm going to bring up something weird about time. So has anybody ever been sitting on your phone and doing something and you look at the clock and it's, you know, whatever, eight o'clock. And then you look at the clock like you believe would be two minutes later and it's still eight o'clock and you're like, what? Like, how how has time not passed since I last looked at the clock? It feels like it's been a couple minutes. What I've noticed and I've paid attention to on my phone is that sometimes my phone glitches where it'll be eight o'clock and then all of a sudden I'll look at my, my phone again or I'll like keep staring at the time and then it'll just be 8.03. And I'm like, did my phone like lag on the time? But it scares you because it's like, if my, like, how do I know that time actually passed if my phone is lagging? Like, has that happened to everybody or was that just my phone? And if that is a thing, then could, you know, why do days feel shorter? Are they glitching our phones and speeding up time, glitching all of, I mean, I know that would be pretty hard because there are so many clocks everywhere. You would have to manipulate all of them at the same time to, to make it be everything. But I mean, if how many times have you run into where a clock is slow or a clock is fast? Like, do you remember changing the time on it? No, but somehow it's fast. Somehow it's slow. Has it always been slow or has, have our phones been speeding up, but our manual time clocks not speed up, like sped up. Like, I don't know that, that blows my mind. And that, in that sense, like it has, time has to be an agreed upon construct because like, let's say, the powers that be decided to fast forward time an hour, we would have to accept that that's what the time truly was. Well, think about that. That's about to happen. Daylight savings is exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> but like we've all agreed that time moves an hour forward or an hour back two times a year. <laughs> and like with the relativity of time, because like you'd say sometimes it, it feels like time is moving faster than other times. Like to me, it feels like time has to move and it's the relativity of it is based upon the like I was mentioning before the space between thoughts. So if you're looking at the at the time with zero thought, it feels like it's moving really slow. Like if you're waiting for it to go. But if in mind, if there is a lot of content in consciousness, a lot of thoughts happening, time seems to move faster. So I think that the relativity of time could be dependent upon the amount of thoughts or basically just contents within consciousness. The more content of consciousness, the faster time goes. This is like Terrence McKenna's novelty theory, right? It's, it's like when there's, like the, the, the farther that time goes, like time, quote unquote, as we know it al along the timeline, the more events that happen within a condensed period of time. Right. So then you can redefine what time is based off of the amount of events that are happening within that time frame. So it's like right now, uh, there's say like 10 events that might, 10 big events that might happen in a single year. Whereas a thousand years ago, it was like one event, 
you know, and as time proceeds and as things evolve and as like Joe was mentioning entropy, as things start to complexify, time is time is almost like reevaluated. Yeah. And like even you could bring it home a little bit, like, let's say in the 19, 1950s, let's say the amount of time it would take to make as many movies in that as, as, that we make in one year, like how many movies would we push out? The time com- now compared to then is so condensed. So like time is in effect moving so much faster because we are able to produce things that would have taken years in the past, take a tiny amount of time now. Like for us to re- do this whole production and podcast 30 years ago, we would it would take us a very long time to be able to do this. But now it's like, this can happen in an instant, basically. It will be done in an hour. It'll be done. It'll be ready to go. Like, sure, it'll need to be edited and stuff. Same way, like, the Marmold movie we make now, we could do it in two years. And, you know, that would take decades, you know, just a few decades back. So that's kind of like McKenna saying, like, that time is kind of speeding up as we're moving forward. And it seems to be because, as I was saying before, the contents within consciousness are happening faster and faster. Do you think technology has something to do with that, though? Well, absolutely. Yeah. It's weird how quickly things yeah. like medical science to me blows. It it constantly is blowing my mind. Medical and AI science is constantly blowing my mind. And with AI, especially, it's like they say whenever we create an AI that can begin like is intelligent enough to begin Im- improving upon itself, the first instant that that is able to happen, it will surpass millions of years of human evolution in like a fraction of a second and if in a single moment the amount of improvement it will be able to have upon itself will surpass anything we could imagine that would be like the singularity where we're basically fucked and owned by a machine at that point if, I, if that ever happens it's hard to say i don't know i don't know about ai to me it's like i feel like it, it, a lot of people either think it's total nonsense or they put too much faith into it like for me, you know, I haven't seen anything. I think like the mid journey, like the images and the video stuff, it's pretty cool and creative and it's awesome. But I haven't seen anything that like blows my mind quite yet. Like the chat GPT, it's a language model. I mean, I think we have such high expectations because people, when they talk about AI, like a lot of people, especially the layman, they start to talk about like a being, like a sentient computer, like we're creating a life. Whereas I don't see that to be what we're doing yet. I mean, maybe it's possible, but. One really cool thing that I heard AI could potentially help with is like being able to decipher languages and writings from ancient cultures. Have that you we seen that recently? Yeah, that That's be been blowing my mind. So cool. That would be fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that just recently, that they're starting to try to do that. I forget what text that they're trying to use it on, but. I mean, you know, if if that's possible, that would be incredible. I think it's already been successful in something that we can kind of understand already because obviously ChatGPT and all these AI systems kind of, they're data miners. You know, they mine already existing knowledge that humans have um, established. But the the hope is that eventually it can apply the same types of um like maneuvering to be able to decipher something that we can't uh, read or can't see. Because, well, like if an AI gets um, strong enough 
it would be able to basically see the future in a sense. Like it's kind of like determinism. Like I would say that you could argue that there's no such thing as randomness in the universe. It's just nothing is random. We're just lacking the ability to identify variables. So like when you flip a coin, it's not actually random because if we had if we knew the exact force in which it's being flipped and the air density, if you could account for all those variables, you'd be able to predict with 100% certainty which side it would land on. Same with like rolling a dice. So it's not actually random. It's just our inability to, you know, identify all the different variables. So like if you were to look at the universe as like a, a, uh, like a, a big pool table, for instance, like you hit the, the cue, hit the balls, you think it's random. But if you, like I mentioned with the flipping the coin, if you understood each variable, you'd be able to predict, and this has been done, to be able to predict exactly where each ball will land. So if an AI was intelligent enough to gather all variables in existence, which I don't know is possible, but let's say if it was able to determine every single variable, it could play that out and tell you exactly what the future is. You know what I mean? And that applies only to the physical three-dimensional plane that we find ourselves in here this does that does not apply to you know what exists outside of the mind you know the spirit whatever the realms that we were talking about earlier that stuff is still anybody's guess you know and that's the stuff right like that aspect of reality true reality where i would say an ai would have zero place being really i mean it's it's being built under the context of materialism, being built in the context of this physical reality. So, like, it, it, there's no way I would say an AI would transcend that because you, the builders aren't transcending it. Do you think AI could create its own religion eventually? I think that's like basically. Or we're at there. We're pretty much at that point. Yeah, right I now. think that's what will happen. I mean, I you could argue that Google is its own religion. I mean, like people just go to Google for absolute truth, like. You want to know the truth? You I'm go not to a Google. fan of Google. Me either. Um, but you know, it's internet technology. It's already being worshipped in a sense, especially like in Western society. It's like we and imagine an AI that will be God to us. Like it will look to it for all our answers. We'll think it's all knowing. So I would say that's almost like exactly what will have to happen, at least for a lot of people. I don't mean to go off the rails. Did you hear what Google's doing since last week where they're going to go through your search history and look for dangerous search terms? Who determines that? That's not good. It's not good at all. There's also this guy coming out, speaking of Google, he was talking about how Google's been rigging elections. For It's like this guy, something Epstein. I believe it because it's, it's, su- it's story suppression all the mm-hmm. time. Think yep. of all the things that you probably could have heard about. about not even I, I wouldn't even say our election cycle. I'm thinking like, Pretty much any election cycle, how much stuff is held back due to the person being like, all right, I need to talk to the Google execs and give them X amount of money so they just don't publish this content There's or also, backdoor it so far that you can't find it. They definitely do that. And another thing that they were doing is that they were sending notification. Because like, first, they have all your info of what you search. They know what, what your political leanings are. So say they want a Democrat to win. What they would do is send out notifications on voting day to all people who have Democrat-leaning ideas or whatever. They'd send them all notifications, say, go vote today, go vote today, and not send it and send it to like 10% of people on the other aisle. And just that alone is proven to send like a, a massive amount of voters out to actually vote just by giving them a single notification. 
And if you do it in a certain political leaning, you can just with that, basically, there's data showing that that can rig an entire election just by sending a single notification on, on the day of voting. And that has happened. To and, only a specific group of people. Right. And this guy, he's um, this Epstein guy works for Google or used to or whatever. He is a, um, a left leaning Democratic voting guy. But he discovered this and found that in the last election, it was totally rigged for, you know, the Democrats to win. And, of course, then they do win because the power of this technology. But he found this and he's speaking up against it, which is commendable because it was his people that he wanted to win that benefited from it. But he's coming out against it, which I find pretty cool. And uh, it's just mind blowing. This guy's been on a bunch of interviews lately. I just heard him. And it's like the power of the technology is just out of control. There needs to be regulation. I feel. Yeah, I, I agree in a sense, but then it's like these people who regulate, like it's who's saying who what to regulate and right. There's no clear answer. I mean, it's like this technology has been developed so fast and we have no ability to like control it. I was gonna say, I think it's out of our hands at this point. Yeah. Really and then, the conception, it was like, well, it's out there and that's there's nothing you can do about it at this point. It just is Yeah. I mean, we are in like the infancy of the internet. Like this is a brand new thing. So, like, we are trying to get a hold of it. And, like, when you talk about government regulating stuff, like, our government can't even regulate, like, something like Facebook. Like, they have all this trouble trying to regulate that. And then talk about how they're going to regulate an AI or something so much more complex. They can't even handle, like, these small social media things. So, it's like, you know, I don't know. if Whoever controls it has a massive amount of power and basically run the world, run our minds. Do you guys, do you three, since you all work on, do you ever worry about your jobs eventually? Uh, yeah. And actually, what was that? Um, we were just talking about it. The, too. the thing that monitors like your eye movements and your oh focus and all that. Yeah, that oh, he oh, told me about this. implementing in China. They yeah. do that in schools in that China. That sounds where terrifying. You, it's like a thought police. Like you can't even think a wrong thought or this device will be like, Hey, their eye movement is doing things that are unparticular to them actually focusing on this particular thing. Like, mm -hmm. go hit them with a switch. It measures your uh, your the the fluids in your body too. Like it 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 can measure everything, brain wave activity. That is the thing that worries me. I don't worry about my job being taken over by AI. I worry about like them monitoring me to the point where I am a literal slave to AI. Well, you're gonna well. I feel like you're a slave. I feel like you're going to be a slave either way because if you lose your job to AI, then you're going to have to look for other means of money and they're eventually going to be like, "Hey, guess what? Like there's so many people that don't have jobs like there has to be a, a universal basic income." And then you're a slave to that. Like you don't win. I don't see a point where you win. Yeah, I think we're going to like ha inevitably be slaves to AI. I mean, it's it's already uh, beginning to happen. I think they send out robot dogs as law enforcement in like New York. So eventually there will be uh, AI robotic law enforcement, which is scary. And they're trying to eventually uh, weed out like uh, human drivers. So there will be like uh, all driverless cars. And so like with all these things, it's like it limits your free, your free will, your freedom in so many ways. It's like if the government says turn off the cars, you can't put gas in your car and drive off on your own. They're done. You know, the, the grid determines. And then. You know, we were kind of talking about on the way here, like when a, if a, a cataclysm would come, it's like if we are so dependent on technology and AI and then something happens that destroys the grid, like a solar flare, an asteroid impact, it's like we are totally fucked. We've become totally reliant on technology just to 
even maintain our sanity. Like I feel now it's like you take away a cell phone from from someone for a day and they start itching, you know. And that's just like that has nothing even to do with survival. That's just mental clarity and health. Like we are so attached to this stuff, let alone the ability to actually survive. We can't survive without technology. We think food comes from the grocery store. We don't get our food. Like right. there are people, I've seen people say that. Like it's not they would say like, you know, where does the food come from? It comes from the grocery store. We did an episode people where said- people thought they did a, a commercial and ad and it was for pasta, a pasta farm. <laughs> and it was growing pasta on pasta trees. <laughs> and they said they had an influx of people that called in asking for the trees. <laughs> no. Oh my god. See, that doesn't Remember surprise that me. Yes, I do. <laughs> there's this uh, there's this uh, famous political commentator, smart dude, and he posted on Twitter. He was in an airplane flying over Middle America, and he was ta- he took a picture. This smart guy, dude, like a smart, intelligent political uh, analyst. He took a picture from the plane window of like farms. He was flying over Middle America, and you know how when you see like farms overhead, it's like grids of different yep. colors of different crops. And he took the picture, and he's like, what are they doing down here? Like, what is, like oh this intelligent God. guy, like real intelligent, didn't know what a farm was. He's never seen it, or never just didn't know what it was. And this isn't like an idiot. This is a guy who, if he was sitting here right now, you'd be like, wow, this guy's got it together. He's smart. Is this like an inevitable outcome of a the human species ability to do so many things, but it they're so compartmentalized. Like we have scientists and we have engineers and we have car detailers and we have data entry people and we have, you know what I mean? And there's so many very like centralized skill sets that humans have. But I guess what that means is that there has to be a lot of people that can't do a lot of things. And is that detrimental to our survival? Is it detrimental to, you know, the, ongoing progress of our evolution see i would say it is detrimental and like the ideal society would be like a society of polymaths like but how can like you leonardo that, da vinci's well i'm just saying that would be ideal like if 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 our society was structured in a way where you every person learns an instrument when they're young and then every person learns mathematics and it, that's what they would call a polymath like a renaissance man like a leonardo da vinci he was like a, amazing and all these different things and that would be the ideal. But like you said, like I think we're moving, in a sense, further away from what I would say absolute truth because we compartmentalize everything so much. Like If you look into the past, there used to be natural science, which was like a mixture of kind of science and philosophy. It was one thing. And now today, as time moves forward, we have millions of different sciences, like a science of everything. You could spend your whole life studying birds, but then you're going to know a lot about birds, but nothing about the totality. There's no like holistic view of reality anymore because it's so compartmentalized because you can look into each thing infinitely. You can study every aspect of reality forever. But the, each of those things, is are they're all worthwhile endeavors. Right. It's a worthwhile endeavor to look into birds so much that you know everything about birds because there's just so much to learn. There's so much to know about our reality that it almost feels like at a certain point in time in our history, we decided because there was a point in time where Renaissance men, that was a thing. Now it's sort of not a thing. And I think what happened was we realized that there are so, there's so much to learn about every little individual aspect of reality that we figured, let's do that. You know? And I think there's, that, that's worthy. Yeah, like I'm not saying that's all bad, but what you mentioned the detriment, and I think the detriment is that that we have no holistic view of reality as a whole or what we're doing here. It's just like it's so fractured that you don't have anybody looking at the totality of it. Like 
you know, I we might have talked about this on a, a a podcast before, like holistic thinking, where like you know now we have people who think reality is made of strings. Like we're so into the physical matter that we want to zoom in and say it's made of atoms, it's made of all these different things. But you could look at it in a different way, and I forget who came up with this idea, but it's like a more holistic way to look at reality and not in a material sense that reality is made of what are called holons which all reality is, is made up of holes that are made up of parts in which the parts are made up of holes that are made up of parts. So it's like a fractal. Like, for instance, I am a human body that's made of organs, and the organs are made of cells, and the cells are made of atoms, and, the, and it's just like a fracturing of holes into parts, and then the parts into more holes, into more parts, and all the way down. So it's more of a, a conceptual thinking rather than a literal material thinking. And... That's like a, a more holistic view of kind of seeing reality as a whole fractured into parts of more holes. This concept, I think, is what the original mandalas were trying to capture. Right. Like if you look at a mandala, that's exactly what it is, is like this, this, um, this fractal thing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when you take a psychedelic substance, you very commonly see fractals. And these fractals are alive a lot of times. They're moving they're, it almost seems as if they are representations of reality itself. And yeah, they're infinite. And that's why I like the, the whole on way of looking at reality that's made of holons, because it's not like a definitive thing, like it's made of this material or this, but it's a conceptual thinking. And I think that is true, like based on psychedelics, it's like that reality is no doubt fractal in nature. Uh, nature itself is just full of fractals and sacred geometry and all that. So I think there's so many different ways that we can look at things, but we're so steeped into one way. And, you know, that one way isn't all bad. I mean, it led to all this technology. It led to the medical advancements and maybe AI. But it seems like, in my opinion, this way we're moving right now in, like, Western culture is untenable. Like, this is not good. Like, our mental health is being destroyed. Like, this is not going to last. That's why, like, when I hear people talk about the future... And they say, like, they think it's always going to be this way and better. I don't share that same view. I don't think that this stream can continue. I think it's going to have to end because I don't think it's cohesive with the human experience. It seems like we're at a dissonance with technology, with our bodies, our minds, our souls. So I don't think, like, oh, you know, in 50 years we're just going to have these, you know, uh, chips in our brains that allow us to do this stuff. I'd, I would not be surprised to see this this momentum halted at any moment. I just don't think it's cohesive. I don't think that it is meant to last. I think that we're seeing a descent right now in you know, mental health and just people's understanding of who they are, their sexuality, their, every single thing about a human being is being like kind of torn apart. It's kind of so Sodom and Gomorrah. It doesn't help that they're constantly making you question yourself too. Yeah. I meant at large, like the the general, I wouldn't say the general population, but they, they make you want to question everything. Yeah. And, I mean, it's we uh, no longer investigate anything for ourselves. I mean, the most investigation we'll do is, like I said, a Google search or something, and then, then, then you know. Like, there's no uh, real introspection. I think that's a lost art. It's an art that needs to be practiced and that nobody really does anymore because instead of introspecting or looking within for any type of answer, you have something in your pocket that will give you a definitive answer that you can latch on to identify with and say, okay, this is it. I know this now. It took zero thinking, zero problem solving. So I, 
I don't think it's healthy, and I don't think it's going to continue. I think maybe something like this has happened in the past. Like, you know, there's speculations of past cultures, and, you know, maybe human beings have been rising and falling for 100,000 years, 500,000 years. Who knows? Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we're just on a weird, uh, a weird path that could be halted whenever. Do you think, like, the technological advances have something to do with this, too? Because I think back to, like, more ancient civilizations, they didn't have this technology. Their focus was survival. Mm -hmm. And in their, like, tightly knit villages, like, everybody had a specific job that was imperative to the survival of that particular group of people. And now, like, you know, we get all our food from the grocery store. There's nobody around here that's farming for everybody in we're at a point now where, you know, everything is spoon fed to us and it doesn't take a lot of brain power to find the answer to something that's fed through to uh, fed to you through the algorithm that is Google. Mm -hmm. And I just think a lot of people have gotten complacent and lazy. And, uh, you know, let's say tomorrow an asteroid did hit and we were completely off the grid. So many people would perish because they they have no idea how to survive it'd be chaos in day one for oh yeah sure. it I would mean, be for insane sure. if, even if the just the electrical grid went down you would see chaos in two weeks you'd see people fucking killing and robbing and taking water like i mean we're so used to just having all this stuff but think about like when the pandemic say, started COVID. that's what i was yeah the beginning of covid and that wasn't even that bad people fought over toilet paper <laughs> yes over toilet paper. But and all the stuff that you just described is basically all the stuff that leads to, I would say, like what Jordan Peterson talks about, like the meaning crisis. I mean, we have as a society, there's like no meaning. I mean, if you are in a small group of people where you're all tightly knitted and you all have a, a job to keep the, your group alive, you have deep meaning in everything you do. It's like you have to go out and get food to feed the people that you, you know, are dependent upon you. Like, that's, you know, it gives you deep meaning to, you know, do that throughout the day. But now we're on jobs where it's just you're looking at the it's clock. It's the removal of meaning. Of yeah, meaning. there's no meaning yep, to, to the job. It's that. just work for work's sake. So, yeah, it, it's, and that's a true meaning crisis. And it's, it's sad because I think it also has to do with, like, our, our, our metaphysical paradigm. Because, like, if you switch your mode of thinking, and I think psychedelics can have a huge impact on people for this, is that you can see that reality in itself is is meaningful like there is a a meaning to just reality itself everything has intrinsic meaning but we're so steeped in in just a physical outlook of the world and the death of the soul the death of god just atheism whatever and and, and it kind of removes meaning from everything and it's just that you are just a physical you are a meat suit in a uh you know a, a rock in the middle of space I Which I don't I, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's true. I think it's it's uh all these things coming together are leading to like a, a deep meaning crisis and a lot of things that I just think are untenable and are going to collapse at some point. I mean, and like you think of just with the technology becomes these advanced weapon systems that can destroy the whole planet. We have more nukes that can nuke the whole planet over like a hundred times. So these things are all floating around under our seas. They're all over in silos, let alone the weapon systems that we will never know about until they're unleashed. I mean, nobody knew about the nuclear bomb until it was unleashed. You know, they probably have insane chemical weapons that could just wipe out populations of people, all sorts of stuff. They're doing, you know, with like the COVID virus, what do they call that? Um, gain of function research. Yeah, gain of function research. I mean, you got 
there's all this sick stuff going on. It's like, it, it, there's it, what's the means to this end? Like, it's crazy stuff, and I just don't think it'll last. There are some people who are okay with that type of research because they're like, well, if it's going to make my life better. And we've kind of lost humanity at that point then. Like, if we're okay with people... I mean, I'm sure if they're okay with animals it happening to, they're okay with people it happening to. Um, as long as that person, you, you justify it, right? You you say, well, that person was really old or that person was a vegetable. Uh, okay, yeah, but it, they're also a person. So who are you to test on that person or animal just to potentially make somebody else's life better but mm -hmm. uh, i don't know i mean that's yeah, a sticky dude, it's one. never to make someone's life better it's usually to make money, money. Yes, yeah. I, was gonna say. I mean you're money, seeing money, money. you're seeing like all sorts of just horrible things play out right now like right now in canada they're like having this movement of euthanasia where they're allowing people Isn't that crazy? to kill themselves yes. like they're basically futurama made a joke about this the suicide booth yeah thing. Like that's hilarious. becoming a reality in canada and they're expanding its nature like at first it was like Terminal people are allowed to, you know, decide to kill themselves. And then it became that you didn't have to be terminal. Like, there was this woman who couldn't afford um, something in her house. Like, she had trouble moving, and they, they wouldn't give her, like, her insurance wouldn't pay for her to get something installed in her house to allow her to have free movement without her house or throughout her house. So she just said she, don't want it. she doesn't want to die, but they'll, they'll give her a free death. So they kill this woman. What? When she wasn't terminal, and now they're allowing it for drug addicts. If you just like a drug addict, instead of get sending you to therapy and giving you help, that they just suicide you. So this is like expanding in Canada right now, and you bet your bottom dollar it'll come here too. It will. Yeah. And just give it a matter of time. If it's at, if it's at your next door neighbors, it's gonna be over here. You know, and mm -hmm. that's scary for the kids. Absolutely. Because at, what, what if they just what, get in a tough spot at one situation? Well, and like I'm done with it all. Not even that, but like, what if their parents decide, like, yeah, you know what? I don't want this. Like, what happens? Or, you know, what? what's the age limit? Like, there, what if a child lives their whole life? Like, when I get to age, I'm going to kill myself. I don't want I've, I've never wanted to be here. And if people think that that's impossible, look at what they're letting you do to your fucking genitals, and they don't care how right. old you fucking are. Like, Well, see, they're talking even, like, in Canada with the suicide thing, the euthanasia movement, they're even talking about allowing it for kids without parent parental consent. So there's this whole movement going on, and you mentioned, like, with the sex changes, whatever, that there's this whole movement going on of a uh, child's rights that like a child should be able to determine uh their their future anything about themselves with over the will of their parents so they're giving children consent in these ways where they aren't uh, they aren't able to consent there's a reason right. for consent laws so they're even talking about you know uh children being able to do this suicide stuff with, without the uh consent of parents talking about keeping secrets from parents at schools all sorts of weird stuff so the kids are really in a a very dire situation They're in right a vulnerable now. place yes I and feel. i mean on top of it they are being uh given what is essentially hard drugs in technology at such a young age that you know these kids we have no idea they're being raised on ipads and they are totally into it and then you don't know what it's going to be like when they're you know 19 and so you take it away from them they might not be able to sustain and then a they psychological freak out. yeah they, they it's it's serious stuff and um, I think we're just seeing the beginning of it. We do not know what we're doing. <laughs> it's just even even without kids. I talked about this on a podcast episode. Have you ever been in a group of people like I went over to my parents' house the one time, and it, it was a 
period where we haven't really seen them in a little bit, so I really wanted to talk to them, so I made sure that my phone was in my pocket literally the entire time, but every time I tried to talk, somebody's face was, like, buried into a phone, and I'm like, well, that's fucking pointless. I might as well just be doing the same thing. I didn't, but... Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, like, you know, they create this thing called social media with the advertising be like we're going to be so much more connected and it's like totally the opposite effect does it unconnected yeah does it worry the you guys that both x and both elon musk and mark zuckerberg both want to make x and meta like do all fucking companies what do you mean by do like you mean they just want to be like like the do all end all companies like you can do pretty much anything you need or want through the company like i'm sure meta at some point will have online virtual stores or or something where you're like you want to order your food you go into meta store you pick out all these things in your cart and then all of a sudden like 10 minutes later it's at your door or like you said there's like job postings on meta yeah they have like a version of this in china i forget what it's called but china has like a go-to all app wechat WeChat, yep yeah so it's that's what uh elon's uh, vision of X is. I mean, he has SpaceX, now he has X, and it's going to be basically, his vision is that it's a single app for all your needs. Social. I think it's too. okay. It, I mean, might, it could be okay. I mean, but isn't that a monopoly it. at that point? Well, it's not necessarily a monopoly. I think it'd be more of a monopoly in China because of the regulation that, like, the Chinese government is the one who is, like, Well, they own WeChat, this. right? Yes, yes, yes. They own everything. But, I mean, we are very consumer-based here, and if the consumer wants that and it's implemented by a guy like Elon Musk, I I trust that more. I mean, this is a guy who just bought Twitter um, basically because of his stance on absolute free speech. To me, that's a good thing. That's a a good person to have involved in your app if you want to have an app like that. So I think it's okay. I mean— But could he have been doing it for money? It's both. It's, of course, I've, money. But money is an okay motivator. Money is a very important motivator for innovation in our country. So it's... it's I, I just know. go to my conspiracy brain. If you if you have an X amount of certain money, like, you've done stuff to get there. An X amount? And, uh, yeah, you've done an X amount of things. Exxon Mux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he partially, like, wanted Twitter and X because for communications aspects with, like, his... Um, you know, because he has SpaceX and mm-hmm. the satellites. So, like, he basically, he's so he's an intelligent guy. It's like a global communication. So that's, like, part of his whole, uh, you know, goal with X. Like, he wants to basically control it all. For I And mean, I don't think he's very nefarious in comparison to other people. I mean, I have some criticisms. Like, you know, he did make a huge improvement by buying Twitter. And, you know, because of the free aspects, that was like a very dire time, too, where all socials were like even from YouTube, all of them were cracking down on speech. And he came through and he's definitely better on speech, but he still won't like allow like Alex Jones on, you know, so but it's much better than everyone else. But yeah, for the most part, he's somebody that I would I have more faith in than, you know, those at Google and YouTube and stuff. Totally ideologies, like just totally captured by their ideologies. Or he's more reasonable, I'd say. So as we begin to uh, transition to the final stretch of this awesome conversation we're having here, I want to I wanna go to everybody because a lot of these conversations, maybe it's just me, but when we talk about psychedelics and we talk about technology and otherworldly stuff, spiritual stuff and all that, it always brings me back to the concept 
of death, the ultimate taboo of our culture. And I'd just like to know what everybody's views are on, you know, what happens, what it is, what happens afterward, if anything happens afterward. Uh, why don't we start off with the ladies? Um, I feel like we touched on this on the last episode that the three of us did together, like what my views on death are. I don't think it's the end. I just think it's a transition into the next phase, if you will. Um, I do believe in reincarnation. That's just my own personal opinion. And I also feel as if when this particular body ceases to exist, like there's one soul that belongs to you and the eternity that is everybody. Um, I don't believe in heaven or hell, but I think there is one local hub where everybody goes to kind of reconvene and then you can either stay or go or do something different. Um, I think that it's all just a learning experience as well. Do you think there's any sort of life review? Because you said you don't believe in heaven or hell, but do you believe in like any type of system of judgment based off of what you did in your life? I do, but I don't think there is, uh, well, I don't want to say I don't think there's punishment for it, but I don't think it's as severe as like, you will spend all of eternity burning, being poked by the devil. You know, I think that it's more so like, eh, you did this when we were kind of looking for you to do this. Like this was your karma here and you got to go back and do it again until you get it right. And uh, it really did take becoming more, I hate to say the word woke, but going through this awakening experience and, and being more open-minded to these things. Cause before I used to believe in the death penalty, I thought, you know, an eye for an eye was a perfect way to handle those kinds of situations. But now I think it's way more convoluted than that. And, you know, I do believe in rehabilitation and, um, I don't think that, you know, just because someone did something bad before that they're, you know, forever bad, people change, people grow, people learn. Um, and, you know, those rules to me still apply even in death. If you do something really egregious during this lifetime, I don't think that that should damn you forever. You know, everybody has the chance to redeem themselves and to, to be better from it. Nice. I like that. Good answer. Okay, Nicole, your turn. <laughs> Second lady. <laughs> so, I try not to say that death scares me because it's not the actual death that scares me. It's the act of dying. Do you know you died? Like, that is always my, like, if I died in my sleep. Would it just be, I never, ever, ever woke, like, I, I mean, obviously you never wake up again, but, but what I'm trying to say is, would it be, like, I know that I've gone to the next phase or the next whatever it is, or would I just black out, like, nothing ever again? And I won't know, because I'll be dead, but that's what scares me about death and that's what I question all the time is do you know that you died 
And I think if that question could be answered, a lot of other things would make sense. But you're never going to know. But I agree a lot with what Alana said about, I also believe in reincarnation um, and, you know, that there there is something after this. I don't believe, I do believe in ghosts, um, whether or not they are confused souls that walked this earth at one point or they are something completely different. They're a soul, they're something, but I, I do believe in that. Um, I mean, we've talked a little, we, we talked about suicide um, and Josh, what what did we watch that they said that when you commit suicide, you're in some sort of limbo? You can, and it's more possible you'll end up in a limbo type situation. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, so different deaths warrant different, different types. Like, if you die in your sleep, like, obviously you didn't do that. There was nothing you did wrong. Um, now, does it depend on age? I don't know. Like when you're old, is it more acceptable than when you're young? Do you go somewhere else when you're young versus when you're old? Because one person has completed from what we say their whole life and one person did not. So like, do they end up two separate places? Do they end up together? If you talk to mediums, you'll say everybody's together. When I talk to you guys, you know, everybody is everybody. Like there's not you, me, it, we're all connected. So it's, it's, it's a hard one, but I, I do believe that there is something else. I don't believe that when we leave this earth, that that's it. I think there is something we don't know, or we do know. <laughs> Can I also just throw something in real quick? Yeah. I think, um, a, again, my personal opinion, not fact or anything, but I think your attitude towards death has a lot to do with it as well. Um, you know, if, if you're someone who has lived what we would consider a full life and you're at a terminal state, um, there's a big difference in someone who is calm at peace, who is accepted that their life is about to end versus someone who is not ready to accept that and is, is having a very, very difficult time with it and is raging against that black light or whatever that poem is. I forget. Um, it, I think that that also has a lot to do with like the same thing, as you said, with the suicide, you know, mm -hmm. the manner of death as well. Uh, I think a lot of those things tie in too. you can end up in that limbo state where you're confused. Maybe that's where ghosts come from. I don't know, but I think, um, your attitude at the end of your life, you know, obviously if you're, if something really unfortunate happens, you're hit by a bus or something happens really quickly, like you won't know, but if you are, if you've gone through your entire natural life, you're dying of a natural cause and you know, it's coming. Your attitude has a lot to do with what happens afterwards as well. Yep. That's all I wanted to throw in. How about you, Josh? Oh my God. Uh, I think death is just so complicated that anybody who says or pretends to know that what goes on after you're living and into death has absolutely no clue what they're talking about. I mean, it's even the people that say they've died and come back. There are a lot of similarities, but is that, is that what happens? Who are you to know or say, I'd like to think that you get reincarnated, but there's also the people that are worried that you ever heard of an archon before? I've heard the word. What so exactly it's, is it? 
they're like higher ascended beings that that like control pretty much I don't want to say reality, but they control most of at least our plane of existence. And when you die, when you have that life review, they're just fucking with you and they're just putting you back into the energy cycle just to keep siphoning and feeding off you. Like I do let that play in my head. Do I want that to be a reality? No, but what I, I don't know. I just don't know. That would suck if you died. They gave you a life review and because according to them, they said you did one little thing wrong. You got to go back and do it all over again. Even after you yourself thought like, I thought I did a pretty decent job, you well, know? And it's kind of crazy too, because just because you did one thing wrong, you have to relive an entire life. Like, it's not like you have to go back to that moment and fix it. It's now you have to give them an entire, you know, hundred plus years. If you live in natural life or 80 plus years, if you want to say that's more of like the, the life expectancy of a human, um, you, like just from one thing you could like, I feel like that's sketchy that you'd have to, I, I agree with you with that energy sucking. Like there has to be something in it for them. What else would we do? What do you mean? Like what's the meaning of life? I, I yeah. question that with, <laughs> I question that with the free will question. Cause Spencer had brought that up. He's like, well, it's just to experience everything. Are you really experiencing it? Because you're not like once you die, you don't hold that experience anymore. They they wipe you anyway. Supposedly, like you don't there's those couple of people that are like, oh, I remember doing this in a past life, but that's few and far between. So if you resurrected, what was the point of even serving that past life if you can't develop and learn from that's not you experiencing that at my in my opinion, because you got rid of it. Is that really an experience or is that just happening? It just happened. An experience, I feel like it has to have some sort of learning or or like knowledge aspect behind you. it. So, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Do you think that you have to take something with you? Like you you hold on to part to something that's a, that is a result of an experience. I don't know. But here's the thing: How do you know you haven't held on to it? Because you have no idea who. I mean, ideally, you would no you would have no idea who you were in the past life if they did their job correctly and they wiped you correctly, but. Maybe something you do in this life is due to your that memory that stays with you from your past life. You just don't know. Like, what if your intuition is something that happened to you prior? Yeah, like people who believe in reincarnation often say, like, say, like in your last life, if you were a uh, acclaimed musician, then in your next life, you will have natural ability for music. So, like, they a lot of people with reincarnation would say that you bring aspects with with you to the next life. Whether, I don't know if I believe and it that. sucks because it's not verifiable. Yeah, it's not verifiable. <laughs> it's not verifiable. Although, what, do you remember the organ thing that we watched where, where you they, can don't when you can get somebody's organ placed inside of you and then you start developing their yeah, either their was, tendencies or you can gain some of their memories somehow. Yeah, there was a a boy that donated his organs and he was like a crazy like musician and the woman who received or the man I don't remember if it was a woman or a man who received the organ never played an instrument in their life, but now was playing the same instrument as that little boy and well, like knew how to do it. And that just like, is, is everything ingrained into every piece of your body, no matter it's if it's in your body or it's outside. There's also like instances of people who are like bump their heads real bad. And then they will be like expert piano players when Isn't they wake up or like they'll hit their head like, and then they'll be able to talk in a different language or they'll develop like an accent of somewhere 
totally foreign to them? Interesting. I don't. That's that brings up that I don't think consciousness resides in the brain at all. I think it. Yeah. I think I don't know what it is. I don't think anybody knows what it is, but I don't think it resides strictly in your brain. Well, quite literally, the brain exists in consciousness. It right. has to because, like, there's no. In order to see a brain, it has to be within consciousness. There's nothing that can exist outside of consciousness, or you have to be aware of a thing for it to be there. You know what I mean? So what happens when you lose your consciousness, Joe? Okay. So well, when I <laughs> basically, if you talk about death, I think. Like, for instance, if we want to talk about brains, like before they were able to study psychedelics, they figured that like when you take a psychedelic and observe the brain, that everything fires off like crazy. But they found it out, found out that it was the complete opposite, that when you take a psychedelic, your brain in many areas starts to shut down. So I would say psychedelics are the closest thing we have to death, because when you die, the image of the brain is totally shut down. So when you take a psychedelic, that's the closest thing to your brain being totally shut off. A lot of people, I agree to that. A lot of people would say that, like, oh, maybe anesthesia, like nothing happens when you die. But, like, anesthesia is the opposite. What they do is they flood your brain with a bunch of different stuff. So you're so clouded that you can't grasp onto anything, such as pain or anything like that. So it would be the opposite of something like anesthesia. It would be something more akin to psychedelics because that's the brain being totally shut down. So I think death is basically total ego dissolution. So on psychedelics, you get ego death, but I think that's like a fraction of what will happen when it, it totally shuts down. So I think when you die, it'll be complete ego dissolution. I think during the process of death, you will probably experience something akin to your life flashing before your eyes, a DMT experience, an understanding, something where you still are held onto your ego as it is slowly fleeting. And like, same as you said, I think that there is a way that you can accept death that'll make it an easier process. Same as like when you take a psychedelic, if you fight the ego death, it's going to be a lot more of a difficult experience. But if you surrender with love and acceptance, it will be a more beautiful experience falling into the light, like follow the light, they say. Um, so I think basically death will just be total ego dissolution. I don't think, I'm not totally married to the idea of reincarnation, but I think it's a possible, a uh, possibility i think if we're here now then there's a possibility of always being here i mean i think that the the possibilities are basically infinite as consciousness being infinite there are infinite possibilities but i think most likely it's going to be pure ego dissolution where you become the one thing and then you kind of have not even an understanding not even a self-awareness just a pure being and then you know, whatever sparks life could happen again. And maybe it'll, it'll have a totally different experience of a different form of life or something, you know, I think it's, the possibilities are endless, but I think the main thing is that it's just basically ego dissolution where you will never stop being, you will always be here now. You'll always be here now, but it will be in a sense where you no longer think you're a human being, that you understand that you are reality itself, that you are the entirety, the totality, that everybody that you ever loved was always you. And I think the, the strongest reason I believe that is because on, during the strongest psychedelic experiences, that's the exact experience I have, where I totally let go of myself as Joe. I know I'm not Joe anymore. I know this is, that's not who I am. And then I, I can see that everything that I ever loved, all the people that appeared to be separate from me were never actually separate. It was just a part of the game. So I think that your ego, when your ego dissolves, you just become one with everything that you ever loved. You see everything as love itself. 
that there was no actual pain or trauma, that it was all just beauty and perfection. And then you are just in a state of pure being. And, and then, you know, I would say that's an infinite moment. And I think that that's where you infinitely are, but we just can't recognize that in this state of consciousness. I think that's exactly where we are. And I think like when you take a hit of TMT, it just shows you this is where you've been this whole time. You just weren't seeing it. So I think that's what it is. And, and there is no actual death because there's no actual you. It's just an illusion of the ego. So when your ego is, when you have the ego dissolution, it's not that you have died. It's that you have come to life, that you understand that you're seeing your true self for the first time or technically not the first time because you've always been there. So you're seeing yourself as you truly are and recognizing that's what you've always been. Um, so I don't, know too much i don't go too deep in the reincarnation thing because i don't have any experience of that being true i think it's logically sound so it, but to me i feel for me deeply what i feel like is true is that it is basically just a realization of the true self the, the dissolution of the ego the understanding of what reality is what it always has been and then you're in, in an infinite moment of pure being and it's just like a, a pure love and that's what i think death is I have a question. Do you think thinking like that helps with grief? Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like when Pop Pop passed away and when Nana passed away, like, do you feel not? I don't want to say the word less sad because I, it's sad that they're not here with us anymore. But with the thinking like that, they they are. Yeah. So does it does it help with that grief that? you you know that they're still around they're just not in their meat suit <laughs> i think that it's it's it helps but i think it's even better than that because because yeah grief is you're always going to feel grief because you're going to miss the experience of the person but then like i i have the foresight to know or it, this is just my belief so i i say i know because this is how i feel um that you know when i when I die, I will be one with them. And actually, I already am. But it's just hard for me to see it through this state. So, like, and it, it helps, it comforts me in ways where it's, like, I'm more concerned about other how other people feel when they're approaching death. I want them to feel good and say, you know, just die with grace and love, and you'll, you know, you'll see it's okay. Um, I don't want to, you know, pain is what people are truly afraid of. They don't want to experience pain and suffering. So if, if you surrender and then uh, I think it's far more beautiful than, you know, the idea of like, oh, I'm going to go to heaven and see everyone I love again. It's like, no, you are you, you're going to you're going to be them in a sense. Like you're going to understand what the, who they are through a state of being. So I think it, it's it's a, the ego dissolution is also the dissolution of all separation. So like everything that you, you find to be separate from yourself is it's all you and it's always been you. It's just that you haven't been able to see it. And I think that, you know, through altering consciousness, you can have the experience definitively where you say, okay, that is undeniable. Um, and the, the reason I, like I mentioned, apply the psychedelic state to death is because it's the closest thing we have to death as far as the images we see in this physical experience of the brain being shut down. I think it's going to be an extreme version of the most intense psychedelic trip you have. And I think that, like I said, during the process, there might be an aspect of like a, a life review, your, mo your life flashing before your eyes. But when, it, it, when you finally go through it, then it's just a pure state of being of oneness.
but like I said, I, I since time I don't think is like a real thing. It's actually like an infinite process. So it's not like it's just going to happen and then you're going to get to the other side and be there. It's like an infinite happening. I have one more question and comment. Um, so f- comment first. So perhaps they should be giving psychedelics to people who want to end their life rather than letting them end their lives. Absolutely. And like this is something that's been talked about, which I think needs to be done, is psychedelics with hospice patients, giving them psychedelics, psychedelics in nursing homes. I think this is it's just... Uh, it's just absolutely cruel that we don't do this. There's I mean, a couple doctors that are doing yeah, it now. It's though, starting right? to like be talked about. And terminal illnesses. Yeah, I mean, mushrooms have helped countless people accept death. Psychedelics have helped me, in uh, I mean, not totally fearing death. I mean, with living through the materialist paradigm, it's like terrifying. Thinking like you know, it's weird. There's a, an aspect of it that's terrifying because death is the end of everything. And but there's also uh, I think people are easy to grasp that ideology because there's a little bit of comfort there too because they think you know it'll be all over it's just like sleeping you know nothing but i don't think that's the case i think you're always gonna be here i didn't get to ask this before but it i was thinking about it on a prior question do you guys think that doing what like you know going the journey that you guys have been on do you think that helps you like stab off a midlife crisis uh, hopefully, I, I don't really think about it. But yeah, I would say probably because I'm not concerned with it. I try to just like literally just live in the moment and accept the moment. I I know for sure I haven't been depressed in a very. I just don't get depressed anymore. Are you going to develop get, a Lego habit? Yeah, <laughs> I don't get like I don't get the emotions that I used to. I I just live in a a state of acceptance. I'd say. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I do think that the journey psychedelics really really help with uh with all of that you know i i agree i've i haven't been like depressed since i mean not even at all because it allows you to to transmute those feelings of depression and those those negative feelings that you have into something else you know it it, it's like alchemy it's mental alchemy essentially you know uh you have these new tools that you're able to analyze and contextualize all events that happen, including death, you know, and as you had brought up Nicole with, uh, you know, our Nana and Papa passing away, you know, I, there's a certain amount of there, there's like Joe said, you're never going to alleviate the pain. So if you're looking to alleviate pain, it's psychedelics aren't necessarily the course. Uh, I don't think there is uh, a course of action that you can eliminate the pain, but being able to understand and have a concept a conceptualization of what death is allowed me to eliminate a part of a massive part of the grief that I would have had just not there anymore because there's an understanding you know and it's an understanding that this this person is to me it 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 brings to mind the quote death is like taking off a tight shoe it, and it's perfectly safe I see death as ultimate liberation from the the thing that we're doing now. It's ultimate freedom. So I see our Nana and Pop Up and anybody else who who passes away as they are going into the next journey. They're like they're they're traveling to the great beyond, to the next the next quest. You know, they're they're being liberated of all of the things that you know shackle us and hold us here. And you know, in terms of the um, 
the reincarnation part of it, I like the idea. The way I think about reincarnation is like if you think for a second about the fact that all of reality, everything that you've ever experienced as reality is from a first person perspective inside your head where you're seeing your hands and your legs and like it's just this weird first person experience. I think that that is inevitable. It's going to happen again. There's going to be a time when I lose my consciousness. And as you said, Alana, and I think, Joe, you brought it up as well, it's really dependent on the state of mind that you're in, how much at peace you are when you transition. And I think it's very possible that as the Hindus and some Buddhists say, you know, there's a 49-day bardo period where you have this life review and you, you know, get to sort of like move around within this consciousness space and experience your your life review and what you've done, or you can zip back into a new life. And I think it's just inevitable that when we when we fall asleep into our inevitable death, we're going to wake up into another ego-based first-person perspective of consciousness where we're moving through a three-dimensional world. I think that's what species do. I think we we evolve with the purpose of um expanding our consciousness through experiences of love. I think that's the that's the main thing that the the life review is based off of is how much love have you spread? Because that's the only it's the only thing that I can think of that would be a constant an easy way to 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 judge life that is universal. It is uh it it transcends ideology because if I were to judge what I think everybody in this room has done in their life and I can I can judge it based off of my perspective and my morals but what transcends all of that is love. I think it's the only thing that transcends all of it. So to me that's that's what that's what you do. You love and you learn. You love as number 1. Number 1 way way at the top and then way way down below number 2 is learning. You do both of those things and then you know Maybe if we want to get real specific, if you really want to go into reincarnation itself, maybe that determines what type of uh, embodiment your consciousness has when you do come back. You so know? if you're shitty, you'd be a little slug, huh? Or if you're shitty, maybe you you would you would inhabit uh, a biological being that will teach you how to not be shitty for the next time. Oh, you know? <laughs> because again, you're, that second thing is is learning. You have to learn. So it seems to me that with each subsequent incarnation, the whatever you get put into is a means to love more and a means to learn more. And the more we do, the more we we ascend, possibly. Um, but I pretty much agree with like everything that Joe said. You know, I, I really do resonate with that. You know, when you have these psychedelic experiences, like you were saying, it it shuts down your default mode network, which is the central position of your uh in your brain of your ego of who you are so i think the thing that we define ourselves as is going to go away but something will persist some part of us whatever that may be something i think will persist um and i think what that thing is we'll mention another paradox i think what that thing is i think that is my soul it is my being but it is also uh, the collective at the same exact time. I think it, mm-hmm. it, I think th- those things are both interchangeable. And 
my last, the last thing I'll say about death is I really, it's a statement about life. Um, I, I think that there, again, I, you know, I mentioned earlier this, this field of, of whatever, the, 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 there's a field of something that connects all of us. And I think the, the meaning of life, the, the, the point of this whole thing is, is to, to further fill the vessel of our connection with love. And That's I think, the love siren. Yeah, that is the love siren. And, you know, I, I think that if you go into the transition of death in a way that is peaceful, in a way that is loving, when you're, and, and you have prepared for it, I think it's very imperative that we prepare for these things. And this is where the free will comes in. We have a responsibility to ourselves and to every living thing in the universe, including our planet and all others, to, to do just that, to, to fill our cups with love and to, um, to strengthen the connection that we all have to ourselves, that unseen connection, and also the unseen connection that we have to the realms of spirit. That was beautifully said. Thank you. You've ever heard the, the metaphor of um, the, the moth and flame metaphor? Where it's like, so the, all the moth wants is the flame. So the moth spends its whole life trying to get to the flame. It makes it three inches from the flame, and it gets scared, and it turns back. And then, it, you know, it sees the flame again, and it's just always going for the flame. And it goes there, it gets two inches, and it gets scared and goes away. And it gets even closer, and it goes away. Because then the moth realizes that in order to get the flame, he has to become the flame. He has to no longer be himself, meaning that, you know, as human beings, we spend our whole lives chasing love and happiness. And, you know, we're afraid to die. We get close to the thing and then we run away. We're afraid to lose ourselves, our egos. But in order to get to the thing, in order to get to the absolute love, the happiness, you have to become the thing. You have to lose the ego. You have to become the flame. And then you fall into that what you truly are. So it's like a moth to a flame. This reminds me of <clears throat> the Terrence McKenna quote where he says, like, you know, you, you jump, you hurl yourself into the abyss. It takes all of the courage in the world. He says this about psychedelics, but I think it really applies to death. You hurl yourself into the abyss with all the fear, but you have the courage to do it anyway. And you find that when you fall, you're falling onto a feather bed, a soft feather bed. It's like you, you have to overcome the built-in systematic fears that you have in order to merge with the one. Right, like, like death hurts, or yeah. death means you fall and hit the ground. Like, Again, it's perfectly safe. It's like taking off a tight shoe, liberation. It's purely like the attachment to the ego. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where like kind of Buddhism gets it right, with Buddhism losing attachments. And, and I think we are just so attached to everything that we don't see we don't see what actually is. So, like, we're just so attached. We don't want to lose this because this is all we know. So, like, if you spend life, I think, preparing for death in a way. Like, for instance, like, the ancient Egyptians, they spent thousands of years dedicated to preparing for death. Like, that was their thing. The Egyptian, like, their culture was all about, like, not like a death culture, but kind of. Like, they were preparing for the afterlife and understanding it, like, as far as what we know about them. And I think that we, in our culture, we basically just avoid death. We have like a horrible um, tradition when it comes to our elders and older people. We just throw them in homes and we don't like, we don't want to see the elderly. We just don't want to see it because we don't want to see ourselves in that. We don't want to see that we're going to be that one day and die. Whereas other cultures, like 
the elders were revered. They were the smartest. They were the ones that been through it. So it's like we, we are doing things in a, a weird backwards way, and it seems like we're so avoidant of death. Like we just don't want to look at it, don't want to think about it. It's not going to happen to me. And when it does, it's just going to be over, and that's it. Uh, I think that's the wrong approach. I can agree with that. I like that. It's funny because when you, like, if you think of, like, Native Americans, they didn't take you to the person that knew much. It's not the chief. It's not going to be the person that runs the the tribe. It's going to be the wise man that, you know, that's been around forever. Yeah, yeah I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is exemplified in shamanism as well. You know, you have of these uh, ancient and not-so-ancient cultures that are still around now. You know, they the shaman is 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 the wise one who goes into the realms, becomes one with the realms, and comes back and then has uh, information, fruits, and healing for the village, for the community. And I think that's a, it's a very important role. And I think we need to bring shamanism back, man. We got to bring it to the, to the West. Yeah, I mean, now it's just, it's pure science is, is our shaman, basically. I say religion's dying, I feel, yeah. slowly. Well, what Nietzsche said, he's like, God is dead. We killed him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we're seeing the fruits of that. I mean, it's not like I'm totally for like a purely religious culture, but I think an uh, an understanding of God and a, a higher self or just a higher power is pretty like essential to a human being. Yeah, this this was awesome though. Thank you guys for all Thanks being for a part of this, us. man. I mean, it's been yeah, it's been great. great. Yeah, I love this. It was a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again. Um, are for we recording sure. with you guys tonight. later tonight? Yeah. Tonight, UFOs and Bros Five. I love it. It's going to be awesome. Open to talk about currently what's happening in abductions. And also, uh, let everybody know where they can find you and uh, what you got going on. Uh, we're on all streaming pod, uh, anywhere you can stream podcasts. We, I try to update every Tuesday, and I've been pretty steady on that. So every Tuesday you can catch us. And uh, it's my wife, my two good friends, Spencer and Devin, and myself. 